0: There can also be an element, and it depends on your communication style and how you are in your relationship, but I think it's important for there to be a space for your partner to say, you know what, I know that this is hard, and this is what you go through on a monthly basis or during your period, but sometimes I kind of feel like you're punching bag, and I don't really think that's fair. I would love to support you and find a way to help us both go through this more smoothly together as a couple.
1: Recently, I've built the best mastermind coaching program that exists for fitness professionals by giving you the shortest, no BS path to grow to six, seven, and even eight figures regardless of your starting level. My coaching was designed to give you the skills, systems, and support to become an industry mover and shaker and build the business and life of your dreams. Hey, welcome back friends. It is Adrian here to do today's introduction and I want to start by thanking you for listening to Bedrock Monday's. When I see the download numbers, I'm just so grateful for all the people who would take the time to listen to these conversations. And look, wherever you are in the world, I wish I could meet you face to face and say thank you. This is just such an honor to me. You're helping me with my own insecurities of putting myself out there, so thank you. Before this episode, could you really quickly just pause it and give us a quick review? Just one click, five stars would be great. Or if you have 30 seconds, give us a comment about what you've enjoyed the most. It's so easy to ignore these kind of requests, and to be honest, I do that all the time, but it is the best way to get the conversations into the hands of more people. So if you could do that, we'd be grateful and thank you. Now on to this week's episode. So today I'm talking to Lori Alpert, and this is the very first female we've had on Bedrock Mondays, but it won't be the last. Lori is a naturopathic doctor and a close family friend. Over the last couple of years, she's helped me with my sleep, with my nutrition, and how I see myself. But most importantly, she's coached my wife, Amy, and I through conversations around menstruation and what many people dismissively refer to as that time of the month. This used to be something that was so taboo in our house, and, and when it happened, Amy and I would just kind of like ride it out. You know, she was suffering, but we didn't have a shared language to talk about how I could be supportive. So like clockwork, Amy's pain, her emotions kept her from fully engaging with our family, and I just kind of pretended like it wasn't happening. Lori helped us with this. And I think conversations like this are really important, even when they're awkward. Without them, the guy usually gets positioned as an inconsiderate prick, or as Lori says in the episode, the woman gets positioned as a bitch. Or both. Pardon my French. As I hope you'll see in the podcast, the solution is neither. The solution is to have effective communication where each person is seen, each person is heard, and each person is supported. And if this is a helpful conversation, please share it to your friends or on your social media. Now, enjoy the conversation. I am really, really excited for this conversation because every Monday we air an episode called Mondays with Men of Bedrock it's always a conversation with a male. And today actually is our first Mondays with Men of Bedrock where we are talking to a female guest. And so I want to welcome Dr. Lori Alpert, good family friend of ours, an expert in our topic today. And so, Lori, uh, welcome to the Vince Del Monte podcast show.
0: Thank you, Adrian. I'm happy to be here.
1: This is going to be a conversation that you and I have kind of been having I don't know, for a couple of years, like just kind of off and on. And I'm, I'm glad we can put some things on the record uh, and I hope it's helpful for other people. So before we dive into our topic today, I'd love for you to kind of uh, help us get to know you a bit. Give us a day in your life. What is a start at night? That's when we like to start your kind of last hour of the day. What fills uh, your mornings, your days and your evenings? We just love to hear that.
0: Oh the last hour of the day the the bedtime routine you know the cup of tea the wind down a little bit of reading um sometimes a gratitude journal not every day just a couple things to think about and um you know lights out i am a big sleep advocate i think it's underrated and undervalued and i love my sleep so i now protect it fiercely which means a regular bedtime Uh, and then I wake up on clinic days, which are three days a week. I wake up at six and go downstairs and I work out in my basement and then I'm off to work by seven 30. So my husband actually works from home right now and he takes care of the kids' lunches and takes them to school on those days and picks them up and preps dinner. So when I come home around five or six, we get to have uh, dinner together as a family. And then after dinner, it's either like kids' sports and activities and family time. It's a pretty
1: full life. What are you doing at clinic? Can you tell us a little bit about your work?
0: Yeah. So my clinical practice is really focused around helping women in their 40s and 50s feel like themselves again. So mm. what drives my my mission in healthcare is to change the normalization of suffering around menstruation across the lifespan. So that includes adolescence through what we call the reproductive years, uh, for lack of a better term, and even through menopause. Can you say, okay, all right, so let's take a deep breath because I'm nervous
1: about this conversation. I don't know what the right terms are. So I'm probably going to stop you or at least ask for clarification for a few times. And, and this is one of this is the first time you said you want to change the normalization or you're working towards changing the normalization of suffering around the menstrual cycle. Can, can you say a little more about that?
0: Yeah, so it's really any, the normalization of suffering associated with menstruation, um, it's a bit of a fine line in that there are a lot of people who suffer around menstruation, either, you know, so because of menstrual uh, symptoms, cramping, pain, irregular cycles, difficulty conceiving, you know, not getting support through menopause, through adolescence, not understanding what's normal, what's not normal. Uh, It it can be very challenging. So in some sense, it's very common for this to occur, and I don't ever want to be dismissive of it. And that's part of what drives my practice is that a lot of the times throughout history, it hasn't been, you know, appropriately supported. So a lot of women continue to suffer. A lot of menstruators continue to suffer, Uh, without an acknowledgement of how much it actually interferes with our life and our quality of life. And so there are a lot of conditions where it may not be life-threatening. It may, but it may not. And we just sort of chalk it up to, oh, it's normal. You know, it's normal to pop 10 painkillers, you know, 10 days of the cycle because you're really in pain because menstrual cycles are supposed to hurt.
1: You said it has not been appropriately... Supported. Part of this conversation started when you and I, and we should establish you're a good friend of my wife Amy's, and we were joking a little bit about this scene in the office. You know, and right away, if you listen to the <laughs> office, you know, okay, what's this all about? So Michael Scott is, you know, he's dismissive of of most human emotions, but he says something in in response. One of the women says. You know, whenever we're upset, you ask us if we're on our periods. And his response is, well, I have to know if I'm going to take you seriously or not. And, you know, it's this <laughs> haha moment. And we laughed <laughs> about it. We were all kind of laughing about it. And then you sort of texted me later and, and, and very, very delicately and gently, I, I do appreciate that. You said, you know, I laughed in the moment, but I'm not so sure that's so funny. It, like, like, why is that? Why is that? Is that the normalization of things or like, well, what is that? That's not so funny there.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think it is the normalization. And, you know, my, my dad used to say that kind of thing to me, you know, Oh, you must be on your period, like a bit dismissive of whatever emotions I was expressing or that I was, you know, legitimately struggling and it may or may not have been due to the hormonal fluctuations, but regardless, it was still my experience. Uh, and so I think that, that, that response just discounts what it's like for people in that moment. So whether or not, you know, the emotion is um, inflated or misdirected, it's still valid and it's still actually happening and we're still experiencing it. I do think that in a sense, that is exactly what I'm referring to when I talk about the normalization of suffering that there are these experiences that we're going through on a regular basis. And it's just often by men and often sometimes by healthcare providers, it's just brushed off as no big deal. You do you and come back to me when you're, you know, back to even. Yeah.
1: It's like a timeout.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Go take a timeout. And (laughs) when you're going to behave appropriately, we'll let you back into our community. Exactly. Um, Can we refer, come back to this phrase? I think this is a phrase, like the one you just said, you must be on your period. Your father, you're saying, said it. What was his tone? Like of judgment? Like, oh, like, is that how he would have said it?
0: Uh, Not necessarily judgment. I think of sort of like, I feel like it came off more as dismissive, as Oh this isn't a real feeling that you're expressing or this isn't really an issue what you're talking about right now you're just mad because you're on your period and you know in a week you won't be mad about it anymore and the truth is you know half the time you could have been totally right and a week later maybe i wasn't mad about it but it's it's very um upsetting in the moment when you're feeling it to just be brushed off like that
1: is there this is a genuine question and and i think I think, you know, a lot of the guys that we work with in our group are genuine men and they and they want to do better. They they mm-hmm. want to say things the right way. They want to be supportive. And I think there's some fear in, in, in not not knowing what to say, not knowing enough. And so instead, they just say nothing or sadly, they come across as dismissive. Is there a mm. better way? Is there another way that we could say that same phrase?
0: You know what? I, I don't know if it's the the words per se. And I, mm. I can't speak for all menstruators and all people who, you know, in, in terms of what language they like to use around it. I think that it's really a conversation, hopefully, between two partners or within any, any kind of relationship of respect to figure out the language that works together. But I think it comes down more to uh, compassion and acknowledgement of a potential struggle or suffering. And so I, you know, in preparation for this, I was thinking a little bit about some comparisons that might be, might make it a little bit more understandable. So if you have someone who's tired because they have stayed up late, or it makes sense that we get tired at the end of the day and they bark at you because they're tired, you know, I would think in a supportive relationship, let's say it's you and your parenting and with your kids, you know, you We may have some instinctive responses that are not so supportive, but hopefully we can say, Oh, I can tell you're tired. Let me help you get ready for bed, or what can I, you know, or you're hungry. You've skipped lunch, you come home and you're hangry, right? And you lash out at people. And in an empathetic relationship, and when people like can see through this and know what's going on, you say, Oh, you must be hungry. Can I make you a snack? I can tell you're having a hard day or something like that. And when we're menstruating, it's like, well. You're on your period. So, like we said before, I'll see you later rather than, okay, this is the time of the cycle when maybe things feel a little bit more challenging. Maybe you need a certain kind of snack available in the house. Maybe you need, you know, an Advil. How can I help? Like, that's the conversation that's not happening a lot of the time. And so, I think it's less about the words, less about if you call it period or menstruation or, you know, whatever it is that works in your communication but more about the intent behind it.
1: I like that. The, the, you must be on your period is the dismissive. Is it okay? Again, I'm asking for permission here. Is it okay? So for me to say, you must be on your period. What do you need me to do? Is that, can I still, I'm just trying to repurpose the language for, and, and, and and I do think, you know, I'm an English teacher, of course, Lori. So, but I think the words are the words, but what's more important is the intent behind it. like, is there something that is? I'm looking for common language that I can use to support my wife um, when she's menstruating. Like, is there language that we can normalize a little bit more so it doesn't have to feel so? Well, you know, men might men, many men might think it feels like icky to talk about these. <laughs> That's the, yeah. the English teacher's <laughs> diction is not coming out great here. But <laughs> is there a, is there a better language that we can use? Common language that would feel more supportive?
0: Well, so I'm a healthcare provider. So I often try to use, you know, some of the more neutral terms, or I suppose they're just what's used in, in the medical literature, things like menstruation. But if, if, when I'm working with patients, I try to feed off them. So if they talk about period, then we'll talk about your period. You know, if we talk about that time of the month, I'll say that time of the month, we'll use the language that feels comfortable for them. So Similar to any conflict in any relationship, I usually find you're more successful addressing these things away from the heat of the moment. So don't bring it up and don't ask what words to use, maybe in a moment of, um, That's when, when you're both feeling ungrounded because of what's going on. So maybe, you know, you get through that week and over time, hopefully the two of you can understand the cycle together and we can get to that in a little bit. But uh, if you want to know what language to use, I think that's a great place to start the conversation with your partner and, you know, not in the heat of it, but when you're at a time, maybe at dinner, or maybe when you're connected or, you know, sharing a snack or watching TV or whatever it is, when you're ready to have a conversation, maybe on a walk, just, you know, that I would like to be able to talk about this with you. What words, you know, are okay to use with you or what, what, what language can we use together and figure it out together?
1: I think you have to almost like, can you say that again? I think you almost have to script it. Like how do, how does a guy, I'm going to talk for myself. How do I start a conversation with my wife about, Menstruation, like <laughs> I, even 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 when Amy sends me to to you know to Shoppers Drug Mart to pick up her tampons or something, like it feels. I always feel like, oh, my God, I don't belong. And I'm like, I'm 40 years old. I got to get over this. This is so mm-hmm. immature of me that I just am like, how do you start the conversation?
0: You say, you know, I, I was listening to this podcast yeah, yeah. with Adrian Del Monte <laughs> and uh, they were talking about, you know, how men can support their partners through their period. Or through menstruation, whichever feels more comfortable for you. And I would love to talk more about that with you. Is there a time that we can do that?
1: That's it. And see where it goes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Could be, like from the place of, and from what I'm hearing from you, is that there is a real intent and desire to be supportive uh, and and to create a more uh helpful environment. So position it that way, present it that way. I can't see why anyone would want to say no.
1: I, I have to believe that people would have good intentions and and would believe that there's good intentions behind it. do you have like a success story of a couple that actually maybe did this and it was like the, or if if we engaged in these conversations, what benefit would there be to our relationship or or what pains could we avoid? I guess that would be even a better question oh
0: that's such a big question Adrian because um, I think it turns into fighting yeah. it's like it, it just turns into it fights. does
1: like it turns into fights.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what what I talk about with my husband a lot is that I think there's kind of a two-sided uh, effect of this normalization that's occurred. So there's the effect that puts men in a position of either being scared or, you know, insecure to address it or dismissive of it. And then there can be uh, an element from the the female perspective where it's like Yeah, that's right. I'm on my period. Leave me alone. Like F off. Uh, And don't you dare call me on my behavior during this time because you don't understand. And we often come back to it. It absolutely makes sense to acknowledge where you're struggling and where you're suffering and what's hard for you and to express yourself. But I think in any environment, we're still accountable for how we communicate that. So it's not like a free pass to be a bitch to the world. You know, we can have compassion for ourselves that we're struggling in the same way we would, if we were grieving something in the same way we would, if we had just, you know, lost our job or we're struggling, maybe just came out of a relationship. When we're going through hard times, we're not always our best selves and that's okay. But it, we still need to be responsible for how we treat each other, even when it's hard. So it brings up the conversation with your partner, like in terms of saying for men, how can they address it? There can also be an element and it depends on your communication style and how you are in your relationship. But they, I think it's important for there to be a space for your partner to say, you know what, I know that this is hard and you, this is what you go through, uh, you know, on monthly basis or during your period. But sometimes I kind of feel like you're punching bag and I don't really think that's fair. I would love to support you and find a way to, you know, help us both go through this more smoothly together as a couple
1: i, I really like that um men get angry oh, sorry men get afraid women get angry but we have to find common ground um somewhere somewhere in there because we do want to i mean what's the end goal living harmoniously having having mm-hmm. a happy marriage right like to mm-hmm. to mutually to mutually lift each other up. Can you just say a few more words about this one phrase? And then I want to move on to some kind of really practical sort of tools and strategies that would allow partners to support each other. But you used a line that's that's worth coming back to. You said, it's not a free pass to be a bitch. You asked me before we started <laughs> recording if you could swear. Lori. I don't think I've ever heard you swear. Is, is it a free pass for anything, though? Like, is there something... Like I I am asking this question genuinely, like, you know, you hear all these jokes online about how painful a woman's period is like, is, is there something that I need to have in the back of my mind around? Like, I'll never experience this. So is there some things I could tell myself? Like, I certainly can ask, I don't want to be a punching bag, but are there other things that I need to know?
0: Uh, I, I think one thing that might shift the perspective and is important to know is you know, we have seen an association, a change in, or an influence on mood tied with the cycle for thousands of years. Mm. Like there has, there has been writings on this and, and considerations of how our cycle affects our mood for a long time, but we don't fully understand it. One of the things we think is happening that we see happening is that it has to do more with the fluctuations of our hormones throughout the month than any particular level of hormone per se. It's the ups and downs that are happening. But why I bring this up is that those are the exact same ups and downs that are required for women to have a cycle and reproduce. So those fluctuations ensure the survival of our species. So maybe we can come at it more as like, a, okay, this is one of the outcomes for some people in order for us to persist as a species, maybe we could be a lot more supportive and nurturing around it for the people who are going through that.
1: Oh, and this is what you said to me on that initial phone call. I said, how should we talk about menstruation? And and this is how you framed it around, if this doesn't happen, I don't think you said we die, but I think, <laughs> I think you said something along the lines of like, we need to talk about this as a celebration of life. Um, that 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 shift in perspective is so difficult. Why do people shy away from it?
0: Well, that's a really loaded question, Adrian. Yeah. And I think there's a lot <laughs> to that one. Let me, well, I'll start thousands of years ago. I mean, the history of it is really fascinating and we don't have time. So I'll try to synthesize it very quickly. But this term hysteria, you've heard the term hysteria. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, it's usually nowadays meant describe to describe someone is sort of losing their mind out of control it's based on the word the greek word "hystera," which is the greek word for uterus okay and it was associated with is that right it was sex specific a sex specific disorder meaning people with a uterus were the only kinds of people who could be have hysteria um and it it basically became over time the medical explanation for everything that men found mysterious or unmanageable in women so if we go back into the kind of patriarchal uh establishment of what we now know as modern medicine it it was used in many ways as over history, a justification for the persecution of women. You know, we think about the witch trials in Salem and and it's it's fascinating. But up until just as recently as 45 years ago, the treatment, quote unquote, for hysteria, so fluctuating moods through the cycle, was to have the woman get married and have sex and get pregnant over and over again in part because the pregnancy may prevent some of those fluctuations we're talking about. So this was a diagnosis. This is a psychiatric diagnosis until 1980. 1980. Until Up until 1980.
1: Hysteria. Hysteria. Which essentially, yeah. correct me if I got this wrong, it essentially means you have a uterus so you have hysteria
0: <laughs> it means it i mean it, it meant that state of emotional let's say dysregulation that was seen in women often associated with the menstrual cycle or blamed on the menstrual cycle. So there's a whole history of negativity around these fluctuations. And I want to be clear, though, that there are there is a lot of suffering. There are a lot of women. There's a subset of women who really, really it's more than PMS. There's a disorder Mm -hmm. called um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is like severe depression right before you get your period that's alleviated as soon as you start to bleed. So there there is suffering around the cycle and it's legitimate. And what I want to work towards is properly supporting these people so that they're not just dismissed as having a uterus. And this is just part of being a woman is that your life has to suck half the time. The History
1: teaches us so much. What is the word again? This is where be- the hysteria was the Greek word for uterus. Uh, hysteria. Or- hysteria. hysteria.
0: Yeah, was the Greek word for uterus. And you can go back and read all about it, but it was first years. the The word was first used four thousand years ago. My goodness. Mm-hmm.
1: So, and I didn't mean to make it historical, but it's the, the the question is, it's deeply embedded in like language, or, mm-hmm. or and then societal thought. To <laughs> quote myself again, think about menstruation as icky, like it's or hysterical. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, it becomes a justification for the you know, the oppression of, of women that that is that is deep. Like, that's really deep.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My question then is, how do we support? I don't even know if that's the right question. Can we make it somewhat practical as we're trying to break
0: from these mm-hmm. 4000 mm-hmm. year old like. And that is the question. That's the important question. Right. Where okay. do we go from here? Mm-hmm. Um And I think support's a great word. OK, so let's. Let's offer some support. I'd love, give us four or
1: five practical strategies or tools that would allow partners to best support each other.
0: Okay. I will do my best to have a few. Uh, I think one of the things I start with, with most of my female clients is just really developing an awareness around their cycle. So there are a lot of experiences that can be tied back to our menstrual cycle that we don't often associate with it. So, you know, we can see some more irritability and moodiness. Sometimes that's clear. We may have some physical symptoms like breast tenderness or cramping, but the subtle ones like sleep disturbances or um You know, changes in food cravings sometimes are not always as clearly associated. Weight fluctuations, all of these things can happen tied with our cycle. So what I really try to encourage is developing this self-awareness. And one of the ways we do that is by tracking. So I'm a big proponent of tracking and not just around fertility goals. Often women will start to track their cycle only in association with trying to conceive. But I encourage it throughout your cycling life because it also helps us once you start getting into perimenopause and around the menopausal transition to have a a sense of what's going on with your cycle. It's also really helpful information to bring to your healthcare provider. So cycle tracking apps can be really, really helpful. Um, One thing to know about cycle tracking apps is that they are not all evidence-based. They are not all uh, the most effective, Sometimes you don't need a very effective one. Sometimes you just need something to track it in the calendar and that's all. Uh, But some of the ones that I prefer are ones where you can track symptoms or signs of your cycle alongside. So you can say, oh, you know what? Today I was feeling more irritable. Today I was feeling more tired. Um, Today I was feeling, you know, more ready for sex than other times of the cycle. Or uh, today my sleep was really bad. All these things. And we start to see, or even headaches can be tied to your menstrual cycle. So tracking is the first and definitely the biggest. These apps are just through conversation, should
1: we share that information with our with our partners? Like is that something you should let them know?
0: That's a really good question. I think that's very uh, relationship specific. You okay. know, in my relationship we certainly talk about it. I think I know of other relationships where that's really helpful. Um, I, I sometimes also recommend that if you are cycling regularly enough that it's predictable when your next one's coming and your app can help you predict when your next bleeding time will occur. And let's say you know that you are a bit more tired and a bit more cranky the three days before you're going to bleed. Then you actually put a note in your calendar prior to those three days so that you can do what you can to schedule within that or to say you know um look honey this is the, these are the 3 days where it's really tough i don't really want to go and have dinner with your parents in those 3 days can we find a different time <laughs> <laughs> we talk about
1: politics and uh, i don't know all sorts of things that you don't want to talk about anytime but there's sometimes especially <laughs> exactly um, so why why wouldn't i i just i really we've been talking about this morning. Look, I've been married almost 15 years. We're just starting these conversations. Mm-hmm. It's been valuable for us. C- could I ask you this before you go on to the second one? Is, is there, this is a genuine question. Um, is there something like, does a woman carry shame? I guess that's my question that she wouldn't want to tell me like about that. She feels like I need to do this in silence. I don't want to like burden you with this or something like, is that, or, why wouldn't, um, some, uh, you know, a wife or a partner share it with their, with their spouse?
0: Yeah. So I, I think again, that's very individual, but a hundred percent there's cultural shame around it. So if you think about what you are thinking about that some med would think it's icky for sure. There are some menstruators who have, um, you know, embodied that in themselves as well and feel like there may be something to it. There may be some shame in their behavior and feeling like, you know what, I'm really depressed right before or I'm really angry right before. I don't fully understand it. I feel out of control.
1: Mm.
0: And I don't know what to do about it and I go tell my doctor and maybe they say it's normal or maybe they give me the birth control pill, which can be very helpful, but maybe that's not the answer I want and I don't know who to talk to about it. So there's, it's it's individual, but I think it is important to understand that depending how you were raised, the culture, how your parents talked about it, and just knowing that the society at large kind of perpetuates that feeling. Hysteria. For all of us. The yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so great. So the awareness, um, and then conversation, if it's, if it's the right move in your relationship, mm-hmm. okay. What would be next?
0: Uh, so I really think so. So the self-awareness and the tracking, whether you choose to share that, it depends on your relationship. As we talked about, there can be lots of benefits. Um, I do think that the next step though, is, creating a space for that open and honest dialogue and, and two ways. So from the one way for the menstruator to say, this is where I struggle and how I struggle. So once you have that awareness, it becomes easier to say what the struggles are and to communicate that. And then to take that a step further and say, this is what would help. This is what I need at that time to share that with your partner can be very powerful. And then it goes two ways. Like I said, where the partner who maybe has been, bearing the brunt of, you know, maybe some unfair aggression or, or maybe they um, there's a lot on the to-do list and it's really hard for them specifically at that time to help out as much as they would like to being able to say, I know you need rest, but I also have this deadline, you know, can we hire someone to help us through that week? Or these are my needs as well through the time. And hopefully Developing the kind of communication in a relationship around any problem to be able to both bring your uh, challenges and needs to the table and try to work together to find something that works for everyone
1: um, speak a little more about everyone. You mentioned before we started recording, Amy, my wife again, who who you're friends with, was down here. and we were one of my sons was here with us. And you were joking about, you know, asking your own son about what he knows about menstruation. Is this something that we should tell our kids as well? Like, is it is it, well, mommy's, well, mommy's, you know, we don't want to say it the dismissive way, but is it something that is worth talking about as we think about our next generation as well? Or, Or how do we have those conversations?
0: I think 100%, you know, I have two boys at home and I've been very open and honest about my cycle. I think it's important for them to understand normal, healthy, functioning physiology. And, and, you know, they, they do have a little bit of an icky response because there's blood involved, but other than that, I want them to know it doesn't hurt me. Um, it, You know, other than we can talk, like, I don't get into the details of cramping uh, at their ages, but um, I think if we're going to change anything in terms of normalizing this, it's really helpful to have those conversations. And it's also okay to say, you know, mummies, it, it's that time of month where, you know, mommy takes the night to myself, like, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. That's okay, too. Yeah. And,
1: and, I, and they respond, okay.
0: Well, you know, whatever you normalize in your house, that's the thing with kids, right? right? It's like that's what right. you normalize is what becomes their normal. And eventually, of course, culture and the society at large can influence that, but you still have some, some say to some degree. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just imagining, I, I'm looking at my sons. I don't think
1: they'd be like when we're at Shoppers Martin and they're with me, they're not weirded out. I'm the one making it weird exactly. in my own mind, right? They're just like, exactly. what does mommy need?
0: Let's go buy it. <laughs> like, exactly. So and, mommy needs yeah. tampons. Mommy needs panty liners. You know, here we go. We're getting them for her. That's it. Yeah. Just like an Advil. Mommy has a headache. We're getting her an Advil. Like yeah. it's, just, it's the exact same thing.
1: Whatever you normalize becomes your normal. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Two great ones. Any
0: more? Okay. Yeah, well, I think um, I was thinking about it. And one of the things that I have found helpful, and that I have recommended in terms of creating those dialogues and making space for that is something called nonviolent communication, because it can be such a triggering topic. uh, It's really helpful if you have styles of communicating that can reduce any, uh, you know, instincts or tendency towards defensiveness right it can be we can feel shame we can feel defensive around a lot of these things um so nonviolent communication was a way of communicating developed by Marshall Rosenberg and he uses it for it's it's for conflict resolution but it's basically allows you to own your feelings without projecting them on anyone else you own your feelings and you state your needs and you make a request uh and Why I like it and why I suggested in this case is that another thing that has happened to many women over generations is we've been raised as givers and carers, which is great, but many of us have been taught that our needs come beyond or after everyone else's and we have trouble even identifying, let alone expressing what our needs are. So if you're gonna start as a partner to say, I wanna support you, what do you need at this time? It may be really hard for someone to say, what they need because they may not know. So practicing this type of communication, this nonviolent communication can help you understand what your needs are and request them from your partner in a way that hopefully, you know, results in, in some supportive, uh, strategies rather than an argument or shame and defensiveness. Why is it called nonviolent? Yeah, because it it's meant to be, um,
1: Violence, just a hard word. It's like, it's a, it's yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a big word.
0: Well, I mean, it's been used in politics and like country negotiations and all kinds of stuff, because there's a lot of times when we bring things up and we say, I'm having a hard time with this. When you do this, you make me feel, or, you know, um, and you suck because you're always making me feel X, Y, Z versus saying, you know, that time when you said X, I felt really hurt because I really needed to just be heard and not have a problem solved. So next time, could you try to just help me just listen? You know, these sorts of things. So it just shifts the language and you practice hearing people from a place that doesn't trigger your own ego as well, which is yeah. really hard, yeah, it
1: is very hard. yeah, yeah. it's hard. You're <clears throat> I really do like what you said. i I, I know my own wife would carry that. Well, we talk about the Enneagram a lot and my wife's a two. And so, you know, it's even more Mm. so for my wife that she doesn't, she doesn't want to like inconvenience me Mm -hmm. by, by saying something that might require me to slow or go to shoppers or to have a conversation or to talk to the boys. And so it's like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's almost part of her or she's, or she's learned to not, so, should we ask more than once? Like, I think a lot of guys, I asked you, like, what else do you want? Like, it, w- w- it, like how, do we ask more? Men are, men are so checklist oriented. Like, I did that already. Yes. I did that.
0: Like, <laughs> yes. That was the other thing I was going to say, too, is that, you know, sometimes, yeah, there is a very uh, big tendency to want to fix or do something. So, even the question, how can I help? And if someone says, I don't know, or you can't, you think there's no role for you but and and either you know you're frustrated or you you tap out. She said I can't do anything, there's nothing to do. But sometimes just being there or just listening is the answer. You don't have to checklist anything. You don't have to do anything. You just are there and a witness to her experience, really. That's like so so uh powerful. And I think a lot of people, you know, mistake that for not doing anything and feeling useless, but your care and compassion and sometimes silence, (laughs) it's okay to not say anything sometimes, right?
1: Witness witness to her experience. Yes. Can can you say more about that? That's what a great expression. So rich.
0: Well, it comes with the, you know, it's the opposite of the dismissiveness, right? It's a way of validating. It's a way of being like, you know, without saying anything, I can see this is hard, but I'm going to sit here with you while it's hard. Even though, you know, I know I can't fix it. I can't take it away for you. Um, but I I want to be here for you hmm. in the way that I know how.
1: I mean, everything we've said so far has, like you haven't said anything about like, and maybe you're going to still, but all of this is about communication. It's not about me like looking at the grade nine gym diagram of like, <laughs> Of whatever, you know, it's it's not about necessarily having all the right words or the scientific knowledge. I, I know that can help. Mm-hmm. It's largely about just, you know, sharing space, being there.
0: Yeah, I think that is one of the biggest pieces, you know, so that it doesn't become something so taboo. Um, I think that the next step, though, the last thing that I would have added to that list and it, it's not as concrete, but it's taking it to the next level, which is that sort of advocacy. And it's like, okay, now we can sit in our own little bubble in our personal space with comfort in, in how challenging this is for you. Now let's question, is this normal? Is this something that you need to be struggling with? Are there supports, you know, are there interventions that can help you feel better? Uh, Are you getting the you know are you getting the validation and the support from your healthcare provider? I think that having that taking it to the next step, so bringing it a bit outside of your circle, would be the the next part.
1: Okay, let me ask you. It might be off topic a little bit, but it's worth the question. I remember when I was in graduate school, one of my classmates, my male classmates, he said something in a conversation around the expression of he said something out loud like "I'm a feminist." And growing up the way I did, I didn't hear a lot of. Conversations, you know, I just grew up in the church, and so the gender rules were pretty traditional. And when he said that, and I know we're not talking about feminism necessarily, but he said it in a way that I was like, "Yeah, of course I am too." But I, I almost was afraid to say it to myself because of what did it, what what would that mean? So when you talk about advocacy, what does that look like? Like, do I? correct my guy friends in public who are making jokes about that time of the month and stuff like say more about advocacy that is that's an action step like almost outside the home the other ones we've kind of talked about the inside this one's a bit outside the home
0: yeah well I mean I think it's exactly all the things you've said to the degree that you you know it's tricky because I I think all of us, any healthcare provider, we're doing the best that we can, uh, you know, and we can't all be up to date on all of the evidence all the time. But if somebody is, you know, struggling with something and they're just not feeling heard or they're not feeling supported by their healthcare provider for whatever reason, then helping them find someone else where they do feel better is one thing that you could support them with. And yeah, in terms of challenging your buddies when they they say things. Absolutely. You know, it's a journey and we all feel comfortable or uncomfortable with that to whatever degree on our journey. But, you know, all the terms like, don't be such a pussy, right? Like that doesn't help how women feel about You know, our body parts or what men think about body parts, female body parts, either. Even say it's, it goes along the same lines, like on the other end to say, oh, that was really ballsy or have some balls, right? Like what we're, we're really putting a lot of assumptions on these body parts and what they mean.
1: I want to explore this a little bit because this (laughs) is, this is like actually, these, these things really do happen. A guy says, and let's be real honest. This is why it's so sad. I, as a high school teacher, hear teenage boys say this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. What's sad is I, as a 40-year-old man, hear guys say this stuff all the time. Yeah. Right? It's like we... My goodness. What's changed, right? Yeah. Yeah. What's changed, right? Your yeah. children, Dr. Laurie, your your children are the hope, right? <laughs> and I think we're, we're trying to do that. Okay. So if someone says, don't be so ballsy, don't be such a pussy, would you would you want to see someone like me or your husband or, 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 or another man, correct that. And if so, what do you say in that moment?
0: Uh, I think in what I've learned, one of the um, most effective ways is to come at it with curiosity. So if someone were to say to me, don't be such a pussy, I'd say, "Hmm, like, what do you mean by that? Rather than assuming I know what they mean, let's call them out and ask, what do they mean by that? right? And have them explain what a pussy has to do with whatever it is they are implying. Um, It's not easy. Like, don't get me wrong. And (laughs) I, you know, I struggle with it as well. But in answer to your question of how do what do we do? Where do we take it from here? And how do we change this? How do we have these conversations? I think, you know, in the same way we have questions and, and calling out racism when we see it, we can also call out misogyny and and patriarchy in the systems and that sort of thing and where they play a role, you know, without blaming a person, but just with curiosity, how did we come to this idea and do we want to challenge it? Should we have some other questions about it?
1: So if I said, yeah, I, I want to stay on this for a second because, you know, some people will be like, don't be so sensitive. Right. Even Laurie, the, the, the initial thing I said at the start about the Michael Scott quote mm-hmm. and and then my initial reaction when I when when you reached out and said, actually, you you reached out with a question as I'm th- I couldn't find the text. It was a long mm-hmm. time ago. But you reached out and said, I'm not so sure that's funny. Like, you know, you, you, you phrased it as like, are you open to a conversation? Which was wonderful. Mm-hmm. If I were to say th- the, have some balls, someone might say to you, like, oh, come on, come on, like, relax, like, don't be so sensitive. What's at stake if we don't have these conversations?
0: Oh, the perpetuation of the same thing over and over and the mm. continued unnecessary suffering and pain and depression. And look, I know that you talk to your audience a lot about relationships. Mm. One of the things that come up that has come up a lot in my work, I'm really honing in on the menopausal transition and perimenopause and working with women in their 40s and 60s. So we're talking mm. about menstrual changes through the these decades. Okay. A survey in the UK in October. of women blamed their divorce on menopausal symptoms or signs or changes. 70%. Yeah. And it's because we know so little. We're learning so much, but we still know so little. And what we now know hasn't reached the masses fast enough to say that certain experiences that many, many menstruators are experiencing through those decades of life is associated with menopause, but it comes off. As I, uh, you know, they're going mad. they're they have no interest in sex. um, they're forgetting things. They're doing worse at their job. They're feeling like crap because they can't sleep, so they're angry and they don't want to be touched. and it in it it interferes with their cycle. I mean, sorry, mm. with their relationship, their mm. marriage, to the degree that they're blaming their divorce on it. So we need to have these conversations <laughs> for the sake of relationships, if nothing else.
1: I I I find this so actionable. I, I don't think this is just like a like listen. I hope you guys got four great steps out of this. There, there's so much to do here, so much work, and it requires not even what it requires, but what's at stake here.
0: Well, it is complicated and it does take effort and time and there's a lot to unpack. So it's not so simple.
1: No, it is not simple. I wouldn't say no, it's not simple, but maybe it's Easy. No, I don't know if that applies. I'm trying
0: to. Yeah, it's
1: it's not. It is. It is just complicated. And probably me in my checklist oriented mind. I'm trying to bring this conversation. Sure. To like a nice, neat, put a bow on it. But I think the picture you've painted is this is an ongoing conversation for the rest of your relationship.
0: Yeah yeah, it is. So it's really you talk about the tools and like you said before, it has less to do about menstruation and more to do about communication. I think if you can create communication, uh, effective communication that can also navigate conflict, which is not easy and it's hard and and there will be lots of feelings around it on both sides and ongoing, as you said, um that can help shift.
1: Love it, love it. Uh, Lori, before we tell, people where to find you um, online. The last question I always like to ask is to to kind of paint a picture of the ideal man, you know the and I've never asked a female guest this question., uh, you know, our, <laughs> our, our 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 male guests refer to him as like the heroic man or like the elite father uh we've had um the 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 fully realized man the glorious man last week I really liked what our guests had called him the reflective man which which really landed for me what would you call you know this 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 man that we're kind of you know what would be your hope
0: this is such a hard one I have a really hard time with this question um but the best, you know, you did, you gave me this in advance, which I appreciate. And I was <laughs> thinking about this because it, it's, it, this is the one that I just have been hung up on and you may roll your eyes. You may laugh. You may be disappointed, but the best I could come up with was the human, the human, because hey, I'm not really- rolling my
1: eyes. That's, that's as an English teacher, I appreciate the pun. Very nice. Say more though. <laughs> tell me, tell me about it.
0: I I guess because I just was feeling like there's, to me, it's really less about gender and more about the individual and the person. So the same I would look for in any kind of relationship I have in my life is the same I would look for. Um, You know, I'm in a heterosexual relationship, so my partner's a man. But, you know, I did come up with a bunch of adjectives that are important, I guess, to me, but um, I couldn't come up with a name beyond just just being like a human
1: (laughs) amazing that that, what what else do we need to say no it's great (laughs) i like i I, like i said i appreciate the pun but i see the imagery it's it's Mm -hmm. just it's powerful so thank you um Lori. where if people wanted to learn more about you or your work um how could they get in touch
0: yeah, sure. So I have my website that's com. so all ways of working with me are listed there and I'm also active on Instagram, so it's the same handle nd, that you can find me at. Thank you for being here. I I love how rich
1: this conversation has been. I'll have um so much to talk with with Amy about it uh, tonight. I I especially appreciate that hysteria historical insight like it just says to me how little i know and how much i have to learn laurie thank you again for being here with me today
0: yeah it's been a real pleasure adrian thank you for having me
1: hey thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed that conversation if you want to get in touch with us we are most active on instagram you can follow us there at men of bedrock or you can join our weekly newsletter head to menofbedrock.com where we send out tips about living on purpose and being driven by discipline. Hope to connect soon.